Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. These podcasts are designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor and have designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Today, we're going to be talking about how to diffuse power struggles through a technique called fogging. You know, kids love to set you up, and they love to drag you onto the battlefield and give you no way to get off, and sometimes we can do that ourselves. In a classroom, kids will do things that are absolutely uh, out of control. They'll be doing things to get our reaction. Once we react, we end up engaging in a power struggle. Oftentimes, we have to ask ourselves a question, and that is, what are we going to do when a kid says no? In other words, we make a request and they refuse to do it. And we end up kind of being left hung out to dry if we don't know what to do. And kids will make comments all the time to see if they can get to us. They want to see what our reaction is going to be. Sometimes they're looking for attention. Other times they're looking just maybe for revenge for how they may have been treated in the past or may even how you disciplined them in the past. And the key in dealing with a power struggle is how can we as teachers make a graceful exit and make sure that both parties, meaning you and the student, save save face in front of the classroom that's full of students. The biggest piece here is understanding that that classroom has a lot of people watching you as the teacher. And they want to see how well you're going to handle a difficult situation. I want to make it clear here that the members of that classroom do not want to see you lose a power struggle because they don't want a kid in charge of the classroom. They're not going to tell you that, 
while this struggle is going on, they're probably going to be laughing or whispering or they're going to get real quiet just to see what the outcome is going to be. The end result in the in power struggles is the kid gets put out of the classroom. Now that's both good and bad because what it does, it gives you something that I call temporary relief. But if your school is like is anything like some of the schools where I've done some work in, that kid will go down to the office if you're in an, say you're in a middle school, in 10 minutes he may be back in your room. Then you that's why you need permanent help. You need to repair that relationship almost immediately in front of the class. Because if you don't and you throw the kid out, he's going to come back and everyone's going to look at him and say, he acted up, he got put out, he's back here in 10 minutes. And that's what you don't want. Permanent help comes when the power struggle stops and when you stop it. And... When the both of you have saved face. Sometimes teachers can become so intimidated in a classroom that the only way out is to put the kid out. And that does nothing. So how do you keep a kid in the room and still end up with a power struggle that ends in a positive way for both you and the student. Well, Alan Mendler, who wrote Discipline with Dignity, has some great ideas, you know, when it comes down to power struggles. Linda Albert developed in her book, and she basically um, wrote the uh, course Cooperative Discipline, they both have different ways that they look at this. And Alan Mendler talks about listening, acknowledging, agreeing, and deferring. Now, the key, one of the key pieces there is agreeing. You're not agreeing in principle, you're agreeing in, in, um, you're agreeing in principle, not in content. In other words, I can see how upset you are right now. But in reality, it doesn't give you any reason for doing what you're doing because the behavior is out of control, out of hand, and inappropriate. So let's take a look at listening. And I'm only going to give you an example of each one of these. And then I'm going to get into a little bit about what um, Dr. Linda Albert talks about. Some statements that diffuse power struggles in the in the categories of listening, acknowledging, agreeing, and deferring. Listening. Hey, you must really be upset right now, Joe, and you're in no mood to listen. I'll respect that. All you're doing is listening and making a very basic statement. Acknowledging. Tom, if I understand you correctly, you're telling me you're not planning to do what I asked. Is, did I get that right? 
Now, that also, in, in the acknowledging category, is, is something in the fogging category that's called calling the kid's bluff. I mean, do I, do I get this? You're not going to do it? Agreeing. Sorry, you're right about that. I can't make you do things. This is a beauty right here. The real question is, can you make yourself do it and be proud of your work? And then deferring. John, I have no idea why you would say that right now in front of the class. I'm embarrassed. Let's talk later to avoid a fight. You see, what you're doing is you're making statements that communicate to the students that you can see things from their perspective. By the way, successful teachers, successful people can see things from another person's perspective and then work together to see things from the same perspective. But perhaps, perhaps the best technique that's suggested in the book Cooperative Discipline is something that's called fogging. And some of what Dr. Mendler spoke about in those few things that I just uh, communicated to you were very similar, but Dr. Um, Albert has almost expanded the list. Fogging involves responding to an inflammatory statement as if there are little of no little or no importance. It's the opposite of active listening and communicates to the student that you're not going to be manipulated by insults. Cooperative discipline suggests many effective uh, a whole lot of effective fogging techniques. I'm just going to give you the, the headlines here, and then I'm going to go over some of the techniques that you can use. And again, I want everyone to remember the purpose of these podcasts. These are teaching podcasts. Now, I may at times be able to bring in an expert or have someone um, share the show with me, that who basically has such grand expertise on the topic that they can sh- they can give you so much more than I could give that it would be worth it but in reality folks as an instructor myself I want to make sure that you get the basics I mean you could look up fogging on the internet But I want to give you a way that this works to help diffuse power struggles. There are too many teachers that are intimidated and too many teachers that don't know how to handle this. As a matter of fact, if you were raised in an environment where confrontations were were made to be very uncomfortable, you're going to have a problem like this. And you have to ask yourself the question, why do I have this problem? I've shared this before. When I went into administration, the hardest thing for me to deal with was confrontations, and the hardest thing for me to handle was having a parent or another teacher yell at me. Sometimes parents can make you feel like you're a four-year-old kid when they come into a room. And if you're a young teacher, that's the last thing you want to feel like because you need to assert your authority. And as we deal with it, we don't want to enter into an argument with the parent. So fogging can be used even with parents 
because parents can be rude, discourteous, disrespectful, and they can bully. So let's really think about it. Why is it so difficult for me to deal with? And what can I do, which was what I had to do moving forward, to get over this fear? Because really, you know, it's, it's the, the personality of the person that you're having difficult with. It's not the person. So maybe this personality has crept into your life along the way on, in many different ways, and you have a problem managing certain kids in your classroom with those personalities who are confrontational, disrespectful, and non-compliant. So, here are some of the fogging techniques that you could use. Again, these are just the categories. I'm going to go over some of the ways that you can use them. Number one, agree with the student. Number two, change the subject. Number three, state both viewpoints. Number four, refuse responsibility. Number five, dodge irrelevant issues. Number six, deliver a closing statement. And number seven, call the student's bluff. And number eight, take a teacher time out. There are different types of fogging techniques. Okay, and we have to know when to use each one. And I'm going to share something else with you. I'll give you these techniques. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put the link to my ebook in the uh, episode description. And you can click on that and download the ebook. But the point that I'm going to make to you is this takes practice if you haven't done it before. And if you're intimidated and you're afraid of any type of confrontation, you need to work on this with your wife, your husband, other colleagues. This um, almost needs to be a professional learning community topic where everyone can get together and rehearse these things. And statements that you use in fogging are not done in a sarcastic way. You're not trying, sometimes they could be humorous, but not at the expense of the student. So let's take a look. If the student says to you, I don't know why I have to be in this dumb class anyway. Well, is this kid the only one with an opinion? My comment back to him might be, this class may be dumb for you, but it's important for me and the rest of the class. Now open your book. Right back to, you know, what his responsibility is. Maybe dumb to you, not to me. Next one. If the student says, you're the meanest teacher I've ever had. Agreement. Hey, I'll admit that I'm tough, but you'll learn a lot in this class. Or you could ignore the statement completely. That's another one. To kids with a big mouth, silence is threatening to them. So you could ignore that statement if you care to. Next one, whoever told you that you know how to coach? 
Now, let me give you a little tip here. Anytime a student starts to question you about something, understand once again that you don't have to answer the question. These kids do not have the authority to question us. And when you start to answer questions, you put yourself on the defensive. Now, I've found that the best way to answer questions from students that are designed to start a power struggle is to ask the student a question in return. So one of the questions that you could ask is, who have been some of your coaches? Or you can change the subject. Tell a joke or ask the student if he saw the game last night. Anything, but you don't have to answer questions that are directed at you from students. Next one. I can't learn anything the way you teach. Now, refuse responsibility. It's not my teaching that I'm worried about. It's whether or not you're learning anything. Let's take a look at what we can learn together. Once again, the student trying to berate you when basically the entire process is based, the teaching, the teacher learning uh, student process is based upon what the student's learning. Now, I will tell you this if nobody's learning anything in your class, then you could assume one thing. Then nothing's being taught. But we're not talking about that here. Here's one. This class sucks. And just go with agreement. You're right, it does. This is a tough subject. You see, the minute you agree, the student backs down. You have to rehearse these. Once again, I'm going to put a link okay, right on the site, right under the episode description, that's going to give you the entire ebook on diffusing power struggles. It'll direct you to the website. You'll have an opportunity there to purchase it. It is so cheap. It is just, it's a great book and everyone will enjoy it. Here's another one. I sure wish I didn't have to be doing this stupid science experiment right now. Once again, state both viewpoints. It may be stupid to you, but it's important to me that you learn this material. Or refuse responsibility. You'll do fine if you put your mind to it. Now, here comes the next one, and this is something that happens at the high school level sometimes more than we'd like. I can't wait for the bell to ring. This class is driving me nuts. When teachers hear this, what they do at times is they um, will um, cut short their teaching at the high school level. And I've walked by many high school classes where you, five minutes before the end of the class, kids are lined up at the door. Uh-uh. You need to teach, have every minute planned when you teach. Now, most students believe that once the bell rings, they can get up and walk out of class. You want to communicate to them that the bell is for you, not for them, and I will dismiss you. Too often, students believe that when the bell rings, that means they can walk out. And the teacher may be in the middle of closing a discussion 
or may have to give out homework. So they start giving out homework real real quick, and half of the kids don't get it. That's why it's important to give homework assignments out at the very beginning of class so they all got it. So if someone, so if they do walk out, at least they have their homework. Next one. You're not fair. Nobody else gives us weekend assignments. You can't bite on that one. Ignore it if possible. If you start justifying why you give uh, reason why you give weekend assignments, you'll lose. Fairness has nothing to do with the work that has to be completed. Not about fair, it's about what your responsibility is. You can't make me redo this report just because the paper got messed up on the bus. And I'll go back to that one that I spoke about with Dr. Mendler. You're right, I can't make you redo it. But do you have the ability, the self-control, the self-discipline to do it on your own? I mean, how, you know, how proud are you of your own work? Is this what you want to turn into me? Next one. Who needs to learn this dumb stuff anyway? Once again, state both viewpoints. Now, and that would be, it may be dumb to you, but it's important to me. And the rest of the class, get your work out. Here's one. I told you that I'm not staying after class just because I was 10 minutes late. Now, the tip here is, if the kid doesn't want to stay after class, don't stand in the doorway and try and stop him when he walks out. I cite this in in the uh, Power Struggles book. You'll make a big mistake the kid will push by you. You may call, cry uh, assault, and before you know it, this whole big event takes place. Let him go, write a referral. That's all there is to it. That's all I have to say. If kids refuse to stay in your room physically, do not try and stop them from leaving. Another one. It's your fault I did so bad on this science test. You didn't give us enough time to review. Now, here's a tip for you. Use the redo-retake principle. Most students who blame the teacher for doing poorly never really review or study the material anyway. What I've used used over the years is what I call the redo-retake principle. Tell the students you let them retake the test. Why not? Here you go. Take it again. Give them a copy of the test and have them do it at home. Sometime within a day or two, the student should retake the test. The same test that he was told to complete at home. What I've discovered is that most kids do poorly on the retake also. So it's not that they didn't have time to study. They didn't make the time to study. What's happened here is the responsibility for the students' poor grades lands squarely on the student's lap. You've given him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't want to, he did poorly on the test. You give him the test to take home and complete. He still does poorly. 
And that's where you discover who really is for real in terms of a student and who's not, and who cares. Delivering closing statements. Now, these are just a few things that you could say. I was working in a school several years ago, and a student came out of the vice principal's office, and I mean, he was wild, and he's screaming and hollering and everything else. The vice principal sat there, listened, and when the student went down for air, he made the comment, are you finished? And that slowed the student down. So what we have here are some closing statements. Number one, are you finished? Number two, you've mistaken me for someone who wants to fight. Number three, you know, we can continue this discussion after class if you like. Number four, unless you have something else to add, this conversation's over. How to diffuse power struggles through fogging. This was a teaching podcast. I hope that you got a lot out of it. Criteria for fogging, they are very useful for diffusing power struggles. They verbally disarm students. It, you respond to inflammatory uh, comments as if they have little or no importance. It communicates, I cannot be manipulated by insults. And we need to understand if these verbal gymnastics are used correctly, they can also be used by the victims of bullying to help disarm the bully and prevent future attacks. Understand that. That's a key. These techniques are not only good for, uh, for you in terms of diffusing struggles with, teacher, with the other students, but the victim can use them to help disarm the bully. Fogging techniques for diffusing power struggles. I think that this is something that everyone can use. You should use it. And it'll definitely help make your classroom climate a whole lot nicer. My name is Jim Burns. This has been Anti-Bullying 101. Please go to my website at www.bullyproofclassroom.com. Take a look at all the materials that are there, the courses that are there. You'll really enjoy it. Great articles. Subscribe to Burns' Bench if you get a chance. That's right there in the upper right-hand corner. This way you'll be on my list and you can, when I write an article, you'll get it. Uh, do your best to try and save face, help the students save face, keep a positive school and classroom climate, utilize some of these techniques, practice them, you know, with someone like your spouse or other teachers And let's all do our part to see if we can create the climate that helps put an end to the bullying epidemic.
My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101.